Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by... Beat reporter extraordinaire for BamaOnline.com, Mr. Charlie Potter. In fact, I think I'm going to just start calling this the Pottercast <laughs> instead of the podcast. What do you think, Charlie? You like that? You like that dad joke to get us right out of the gates? By the way, it is Monday afternoon around 3.15 p.m. Central. So, Charlie, with the way things are going as well, I felt like we needed to kind of timestamp this thing because of so much news that's been uh, breaking throughout the, the last couple of days and what could still happen into the evening hours tonight with underclassmen. Yeah, it's been a, a busy week. Um, you know, I was talking with someone um, a few days after the national championship game, which doesn't seem like it's it's been a week. It almost feels like that was three weeks ago at this point. Um, but, you know, you, you think you have a chance to kind of come up and, and catch your breath after the season ends, but then, you know, somebody comes around and, and dunks your head underwater for the next week or so. So there's been a lot going on. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, though, where we were in June and July and, and recording these and talking, you'll take it because we finished the season. We were able to get through it. And these guys are making decisions, you know, for the next step of their career, whether it's players, coaches, and heck, even the basketball team is doing well. So there's there's a lot to talk about, a lot going on, but I guess you wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. And we will get things started with some basketball talk. Don't worry your little heads. We're going to have plenty of football talk as we move throughout the podcast, certainly on the coaching front, as we know it as of this time, involving the Alabama staff, underclassmen with the NFL draft, who Alabama has already seen make that move what the expectation is with the last few guys that sort of have that avenue available to them. Maybe even some Jeremy Pruitt talk. Wow, what a Monday for Jeremy Pruitt. You talk about a case of the Mondays. Uh, That was the case once again up in Knoxville, Tennessee. But we will start with hoops because there isn't a more relevant story involving University of Alabama athletics right now, Charlie, than this 6-0 in the SEC men's basketball team under Nate Oates, and yeah, I'm surprised, Charlie, this team's 6-0, and but I'm even more surprised in the dominant fashion in which they've made this run, and they just continue to meet grind, folks. Most recently, Arkansas over the weekend at Coleman Coliseum, a 31-point victory over the visiting Razorbacks, and again, Charlie, are you more surprised that this team is 6-0, and are you more surprised in the manner in which they've gotten there? That's a tough one <clears throat> just because of the way that non-conference play transpired. Um, you know, they had a, a couple of games. I think they should have won, especially that Western uh, Kentucky game. But I think it's probably the margin of, of victories because, you know, we've seen Kentucky. They've they've had a down year, but Alabama went to, to Rupp and won by 20. And then, you know, to, to play an Arkansas team, I know they were down some players, but Alabama was too. You know, you have Jordan Bruner out. Um, with that knee injury, uh, Herb Jones, again, playing basically one-handed out there. He dislocated a finger. And uh, you know, Javon Quinterly is a guy that's been uh, dealing with an undisclosed medical condition. And, and it was his first game back in, in several games. And that takes a little bit of conditioning as well. So um, I think it's just the way in which they've been winning has been impressive. Because you know we, we've seen this team um, 
go on on win streaks. Heck, uh, last year around this time, they I think won four in a row, and we're actually getting ready to go to LSU, which they're going to do on Tuesday. And then you know, they dropped that game. I think it was a, a 14-point loss, and they were never, never really able to recover and string together back-to-back wins the rest of the year. So um, it's, it's the way in which they're playing with, with guys being out, dealing with injuries and stuff like that. Um, you know, these guys are brought in, and you know, they're finally getting recognized. You know, today uh, was – when the polls came out and Alabama was 18th in the AP poll and um, 16th in the coaches poll it's the first time Alabama has been ranked in the AP poll since December of 2017. So uh, they're finally getting some recognition. And um, I think the big thing for them though, is to not really buy into the recent success to, to keep their heads down and keep moving forward. And if they can do that, I think this team will continue to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he even went into the Arkansas game, right, after the 20-point win, as you outlined, at Kentucky, and you're thinking, well, Bruner's out, Herb is questionable, Javon Quinterly, you're expecting him back, but it's coming off a layoff, so I even had some concerns about the Arkansas game, and they go out, and they immediately go on a 22-5 to run, and again, whenever they seem to get into the mid-teens and made threes, they're going to be tough to beat, but... You saw sort of a by-committee approach, I guess, to replacing Bruner with Alex Reese and uh, Jawan Gary did some nice things in the limited minutes. Uh, It just seems to be a team right now, and I know Nate Oates has spoke about this and touched on this a lot. They are very much in next man up mode, and not just next man up as far as replacing guys that are out, but if a guy has a down night, there's someone there to pick them up. Absolutely, you're going to count on Herb Jones and John Petty and Shackelford and you know those kind of guys on a night-to-night basis. But again, as we've talked about before, the multitude of individuals, it seems like, that give them something meaningful. And it's not always double-digit scoring. It's not always 20 minutes plus. Uh, but like Gary against Arkansas, you know, point eight minutes. But that stat line, you take that for 20 minutes from most guys. Yeah, and um, you know, after the Arkansas game, I think we heard from John Petty and, and Josh Primo. And Josh Primo came up proudly with that hard hat award. And Primo didn't just light up the box score, but he's been doing a lot of mm-hmm. things really well of late. And uh, you can see him getting more and more comfortable. And, and and that's important because you mentioned, I mean, we've seen Herb Jones get into foul trouble early in games and Alabama still be able to, to will out a win. And, you know, Petty, uh, he's been playing really, really well of late. He was SEC uh, player of the week. This is the second time I think in three weeks for him. And he's been getting some uh, national recognition because of what he was able to do uh, in the last two games. I think he's also, you know, we, we know that he's Alabama's all time leader and made threes, but he's a guy that he, goes into shooting slumps and they've had guys step up around him. So yeah, that, that next man up uh, mentality and philosophy that this team has and has really embraced, uh, I think has been a really important piece of their success. So um, whether it's guys stepping up for Bruner, um, you know, I think they need a little bit more from, from Rojas, but he's dealing with a a wrist injury still, but um, it's just been a collective effort. Guys like Keon Ellis has stepped up and, and done some nice things. And if they can keep, all those guys doing that, then they can they can keep these winning ways up. We look at Tuesday night and the battle of the top two teams in the SEC right now. And I guess, too, an early primary for SEC Player of the Year, perhaps, with Trendon Watford of LSU getting some of that love uh, in the way he's able to impact games in a multitude of ways. And as you talked about, John Petty, uh, 40 points in the last week in two games, two wins. Uh, and those two of the last three SEC players of the week. I guess the matchup within the matchup, not that those guys will go against each other, different positions, but big picture-wise, you know, John Petty was a guy going into SEC play, was benched for a game, suspended or sat out a game, right? And here he is now right at the top of the list of that SEC player of the year talk. Yeah, I think Petty's turnaround's been been important, and um, you know, he's a guy that's really bought in. I think, you know, it's taken some, you know, nudging, I guess you could say, from from Nate Oates, but they were able to to sort things out, and he's bought in and been a leader. Uh, he's been consistent ever since Christmas, really. And uh, yeah, I think that the the guys on the court, um, 
at the PMAC, it, it's going to be a, a lot of big name guys. And you know, Trenton Watford's a guy, of course, with him being from Alabama and the way that he's played during his career uh, at LSU uh, is a guy that gets mentioned a lot. But Nate Oates really said that um, LSU kind of has a, a big four, whether it's Watford or, um, you know, Javante Smart, Darius Days. He had a lot of high praise for Cam Thomas, you know, who's a true freshman uh, for them. And uh, yeah, he's a guy that we've seen that he can go out and score 30 points a night if he needs to. So um, I think it'll be a very intriguing matchup, a, a challenging one for Alabama. And I think this one uh, maybe more so than anything else. And that says a lot, given the games they played to start SEC play, if they can go down to Baton Rouge and continue what they've been doing, you know, this team's for real and they're going to be a real threat come March. LSU comes into the game tomorrow night, averaging an SEC best, 86 points per game. Alabama not far off of that number themselves at right around 80. And how about poor Arkansas last week? <laughs> Arkansas got the LSU-Alabama two-step, both midweek and on the weekend. Alabama, we talked about the massive runs that the Crimson Tide went on, including one to start that game against the Hogs at Coleman. Well, midweek last week, LSU went on a 40-6 to run in the first half against poor Arkansas. So uh, anybody's going to look better to Arkansas this week than either LSU or Alabama. We're going to step aside for a quick break here on the Bama online podcast. When we get back time to get into some nuts and bolts, football talk. It's the Bama online podcast. I'm Travis Ryer. He's Charlie Potter back with more of the show right after this. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. Again, it is Monday afternoon, January the 18th. That much we can report at this moment in what is a rapidly moving coaching front and also with the potential for roster news as you move to the very tip of the underclassmen deadline for the NFL draft. I'm Travis Ryer, joined by Charlie Potter and Let's get into the coaching angle of this thing, Charlie, with the Alabama Crimson Tide football team, because I got to think at this point, Holman Wiggins got to feel pretty lonely in that offensive meeting area, doesn't he? I mean, it's kind of Holman and Holman's holding it down and that's about it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, so far, we've seen, obviously, Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, lead for Texas. That was uh, that was in the works for a while. And, um, you know, Kudos for him for coming back and um, really not being a distraction outside of talking to us and things like that. I think the, the offense uh, performed pretty well, uh, despite uh, some of the things that, that he was dealing with away from the field. But, you know, he's expected to take uh, Kyle Flood, the offensive line coach, and um, Jeff Banks, the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator, with him to Austin. And uh, with that, you have Flood assuming a bigger position with offensive coordinator added to his title, even though I think Sark's still going to call plays there in Austin. And then it sounds like Jeff Banks is going to get a pretty hefty pay raise. And then uh, on Sunday, uh, Marshall officially announced Charles Huff, Alabama's running backs coach will be its next head coach. And uh, with that is, it was kind of interesting because uh, you look at the press release and it actually had a quote from Nick Saban and that doesn't really happen a lot. So you could tell that that's obviously moving from running backs coach to head coach. That's something that you, you, um, you say you're happy for that guy because that's a, that's a great promotion. But outside of that, nothing else has happened, at least as we're recording that or recording <laughs> this. And uh, we'll, we'll see if that remains to be the case. I, don't, I think anything else would, would almost be a surprise at this point. Um, I think the Jeff Banks thing was a little bit of a surprise, but um, everything else was almost expected. And yeah, I mean, from this point, uh, Alabama is going to have to replace some uh, some key members of its offensive staff and um, some key recruiters as well. So this should be a, an interesting you know few weeks to see how it goes. Yeah, can't. And I guess it's not an election year anymore because it's 2021. But 
I mean, in what was an election year, can we get some outlet to just call Bill O'Brien to Alabama at this point? I mean, <laughs> I think we have enough primaries reporting at this point to be able to safely make a call of Bill O'Brien to Alabama as the offensive coordinator. I mean, for crying out loud, our Hank South, right? Yeah. Our recruiting analyst for BamaOnline.com talked with Ty Simpson, a four-star quarterback for the 2022 class. Ty Simpson already knows, I guess, that Bill O'Brien's even the offensive coordinator uh, at Alabama, Charlie. Yeah, and, and they take their time on these releases. Um, you know, Nick Saban was speaking uh, last week um, with media in Houston for the Paul Bear Bryant Awards, which he obviously later won the the Coach of the Year award for them. And, uh, you know, they asked him about Bill O'Brien because that was a, a hot rumor and report out there that he was expected to be Alabama's next offensive coordinator. And, and Nick Saban basically confirmed it with what he said. I, I immediately, as soon as I saw the quote and heard it, um, you know, I, I reached out to Alabama's uh, media relations and they said it wasn't official yet that he had misspoke, but Nick Saban's not really one of those that typically does that. He's very measured in, in what he has to say. So uh, it, it's a matter of when, not if, I think with Bill O'Brien. And uh, again, that we've said it, and I've said it several times on this podcast, we're on, we're on central Saban time. Whenever he wants to do that, they'll do it. So hopefully it'll be soon. And these other staff jobs, uh, again, with the emphasis being on the offensive side of the ball, I know uh, us there at BamaOnline.com here in the last day or so with some some names to watch, at least. And again, understanding these things change quickly because, Charlie, there's other dominoes around football. And Mm -hmm. with the way Nick Saban does his staff shopping, it's not just as simple as saying, okay, go see who he might take from, say, Mississippi State. He's done that before. He's done that a couple of times. So that's certainly a possibility. But then you have the NFL angle in all this. And when you consider the offensive line position and names like Jeff Stoutland, a guy who has obviously worked at Alabama in the past and most recently at the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Doug Marone is a name that our site publisher, Tim Watts, uh, has posted and, and kept us uh, informed about here on a Monday there on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. Doug Marone, uh, most recently, like Bill O'Brien, a NFL head coach, Marone of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jody Wright is a former staffer at Alabama with a lot of experience in the ways of Nick Saban. And during his time as sort of an analyst and director of player personnel, you'd see Jody Wright sort of monitoring things, maybe with Joe Pendry, and then Jeff Stoutland with that offensive line. Then also maybe even, um, you know, at the running backs position for a guy like Jody Wright. I guess the theme here is that it's interesting because there's a couple of these candidates that we've seen at Alabama in the past, and they offer some flexibility, I guess you could say, when you talk about guys like Jody Wright and Joe Panunzio even. Yeah, I mean, Jody Wright, you look at the the openings on Alabama's offensive staff, he has experience in every one of those positions, whether it's uh, coaching the offensive line, which he did, I believe, at UAB. He also coached uh, running backs for the Blazers, and then he was a tight end slash uh, you know, passing game coordinator uh, coach at Jacksonville State. So, I mean, it's not the SEC, but he has that experience, and he spent the last couple years uh, in the NFL, whether it was with the Cleveland Browns and then now with the, the New York Giants. So um, I, I think the trend when you look at some of the names that we put out there is guys that have you know been in the NFL or you know maybe moving on from the NFL, whether it was because of um, you know being dismissed from their roles or the head coach being fired in the case of, of Jeff Stalin. He's still currently the offensive line coach in Philadelphia, but we know that Doug Peterson is out uh, up in Philly. But um, you know, Jody Wright is a versatile coach, so is Joe Penunzio, you know, both of those guys have had several stints at Alabama and, um, you know, Joe Penunzio is a guy that knows South Florida well from a recruiting standpoint. So that's always welcomed. And, uh, you know, he's coached running backs and special teams at Alabama. So that's something that you you could keep an eye on. And, And really the only, um, you know, outlier in all this is is Kevin Sumlin. He's a guy that we mentioned as the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. I'm not sure if that's necessarily a route that he would want to go since his last three jobs have been head coaches, whether it be Houston, uh, Texas A&M, or Arizona, his last stop. But you know, we've seen Nick Saban bring in coaches with baggage with, you know, I don't want to say failed careers, but um, guys that 
have maybe fallen out of favor, they get uh, they go to that Nick Saban car wash, that rehabilitation center, and then boom, they land another head coaching job. So maybe that's an an angle you look. But the the all encompassing theme is a lot of these guys have ties to Alabama, whether it's Lance Taylor, the the Notre Dame running backs coach who you know played at Alabama and was a GA during Saban's first two years. Bobby Williams at Oregon, who's of course worked for Saban, whether it's Michigan State, Miami, Alabama. Uh, and then guys that have ties to the NFL and uh, even ties to to um, Bill O'Brien with Danny Barrett, the Houston, Texas running backs coach. So you kind of have to piece these things together. And we're not saying these are the guys that are necessarily in the running, but these are names to watch. And as everybody's seen and as Tim likes to say on the board, it's a fluid situation and, and one that we'll obviously continue to monitor. And look, I don't want to discount the value of quality assistant coaches because they're absolutely connected to the success that Alabama has had under Nick Saban, not only in terms of on the field performance, but the recruiting aspect of all this, which Charlie and myself, we're more on the team side of things, but we've been around long enough to know there's sort of a tiertum to recruiting in terms of what's going to be expected out of, say, a coordinator. At the coordinator level, there's probably not going to be the same type of expectation from a recruiting perspective as there's going to be for, say, a position coach. And so when you talk about Bill O'Brien, I would think he'll be similar to Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, some of the guys, Brian Dable. Going to be probably more about quarterback evaluation and identification and then assisting in the recruitment of those targets like Ty Simpson, who you read about thanks to – Hank South right there on BamaOnline.com on Monday, uh, the four-star 2022 quarterback prospect. Uh, But once you start getting into these openings like Alabama has on offense and special teams right now, tight end special teams, OL, uh, probably even more so running back, it's going to be as much of a standout recruiter as it's going to be a standout on the field coach. That's that's a given under – Nick Saban. And look, again, when we go through the openings right now, offensive coordinator, tight end special teams, offensive line, running back, here's a list of all the different coaches at those spots that Nick Saban has won national championships with at Alabama, Charlie. How about five different offensive coordinators? McElwain, Nussmeyer, Kiffin, Dable, Sark with McIlwain winning two, the only offensive coordinator Nick's had to win two national championships with Alabama. Special teams tight ends. Now, look, give Bobby Williams a lot of love here. He won four. And that's only matched by Kirby Smart and surpassed, Charlie, by Burton Burns. Joe Panunzio is the 2017 special teams tight ends, won one banks this last year. Offensive line, Joe Pendry, Jeff Stoutland with two, Mario Cristobal with one in 2015. Uh, Brent Key with one in 2017, Kyle Flood, of course, in 2020, and then running backs, the king of NCs, other than Nick himself at Alabama, Burton Burns with five, and Charles Huff with one in this most recently completed season. Again, Charlie, not trying to oversimplify or undervalue uh, the importance of assistant coaches, but I guess the point is it seems to have worked out okay to this point. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's as long as Saban's running things, I mean, Alabama's going to be in good shape. And you know he has that master list of, of guys that he um, will, will covet, and he has a lot of sources to to evaluate them. And so I don't really yeah, – I mean, there's no reason for you and I rather to, to worry about it. But if you're an Alabama fan, there's, there's not a lot of reason to worry either. I mean, Nick Saban's not just going to go and, and hire some scrub, you know, uh, off the street. And uh, I think that – Yes, it will be a, a guy that can develop the talent that they bring in, but recruiting is also important. And um, you know, some of these guys, I think a guy like Joe Pananzio, you know, we've seen what he's been able to do in the past as a recruiter. Again, he has success in South Florida. Uh, Bobby Williams has done that as well, same area. He knows that area well. So um, it, it's just a situation where they're going to go out and, and get a guy. And sometimes if you if you go through and, and listen to that list, um, you know, it's sometimes it's a, a hire that is unexpected. And he also isn't afraid to bring guys back into the fold. So mm-hmm. guys like Panunzio and Bobby Williams and Jody Rod makes sense there. So all of that is to say, just breathe. <laughs> and, 
it, it should all probably work it out. Just, it should be fun at this point. It should be an exercise in fun. It, it shouldn't be stress. And I mean, that's because the thing, though. If you, if you read our message board, you would think that Alabama didn't win a national championship just a week ago. And <laughs> that this is like a, a new occurrence where, where coaches leave all the time. Like, again, uh, you think you can take a breath after the season, but it, it never really happens because this, this is an annual thing. I mean, when you have the success like a program like Alabama does – your coaches are going to move on and get other jobs. Your players are going to move on to the NFL. Uh, so it's it's kind of just business as usual at this point. Like it's it's not the same amount we've seen in, in recent years. So far, it's only been four assistants. Now I know some analysts have moved on as well. You know, most notably, you know, Butch Jones is the head coach at Arkansas State now. But it's it's just kind of what you should come to expect at this point. And it seems like a lot of people are are acting like the sky is falling. Yeah, you know, it, again, not it's very important. It's vital. But Nick Saban has a track record of showing you, first of all, he doesn't have to 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 beat the beat the uh, the streets to find candidates. You right. know, I'm pretty sure Nick's cell gets blown up or his email. <laughs> well, I, if he has if he actually even uses email. Right. But he, he has plenty of outstanding candidates that make themselves available to him. You know, not not like he's having to you know stay up nights trying to find just about anybody to be it. So the pool that's available to him, just look at Bill O'Brien. How many programs out there do you think could have hired a guy who was recently a NFL head coach and GM, and before that he was the head coach at Penn State to be the offensive coordinator? You know, how many programs out there do you think right now in college football could could do that? And and now the talk of maybe Doug Marone most recently, uh, and we'll see. Maybe he won't end up in the spot. But just to be able to have those guys in consideration for coordinator and positional level jobs, there, there's no other program in college football right now that can do that. And and that's what we're seeing with Nick Saban uh, at Alabama. Now the defensive side of the ball, Charlie, been kind of quiet over there. Uh, I was told as recent as today, Monday that perhaps Steve Sarkeesian hasn't totally given up on the thought of maybe Pete Golding uh, eventually making his way out to Austin. But I guess as of, again, late afternoon Monday, uh, it's been status quo on the defensive side. Yeah, it has. And uh, Pete Golding is a name that has come up a, a few times at, at a few stops. And yeah, I, I think that's a that's also a, a hot topic for Alabama fans because, um, you know, they didn't love the job that Pete Golding did. But I, I thought the defense was improved this year, and especially for a group that was relatively inexperienced. And now uh, you're going to have a, a lot of these guys returning. And so it should be even better next year and maybe to, to start the season off the strength of the team with so much or with how much they have to replace uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But, yeah, I mean, I think. I think for those young players and their uh, continued development to see that as of right now that most if not all of the defensive staff will be returning I think that's big for them and um, you know we'll see if it happens again I mean this is a this has been a crazy week and some things have kind of uh, happened by surprise again I think the the Jeff Banks move was caught a little bit of, or some people a little bit off guard and uh, we'll see if, if that happens again hopefully it doesn't but uh, it's it's the coaching care cell. It's always spinning. Yeah, kind of the um, kind of the other side of that Jeff Banks thing to Texas was that Carl Scott. If you go back and look at like the last three classes of commitments and the work that's been done in Texas, there's actually more of a tilt towards Carl Scott mm-hmm. than even Jeff Banks. So if you're Nick Saban, maybe you weren't thrilled with Jeff Banks leaving. I'm guessing you weren't good coach, good recruiter. We know that. Uh, but if you can keep Carl Scott in that mix out there, uh, you'll still feel pretty good about things, not only in recruiting, but you know, the job he continues to do there, uh, in the defensive backfield with the corner specifically. Hey, Charlie, we talk about Pete Golding and we hear about Jeremy Pruitt earlier today. Talk about a crazy Monday. Jeremy Pruitt fired with cause by the University of Tennessee. And I think the initial part of that announcement, Jeremy Pruitt fired, you saw some Alabama fans immediately start to connect some dots and already had Jeremy on kind of like 59 South, I guess, you know, coming through Gadsden. (laughs) 
Like he was already passing the B. He waved to your folks on the way through coming down back to Tuscaloosa. Those were the dots that were being connected. But then when you got further into the statement about his dismissal, the whole with cause thing may have slowed some of that banter down. But, you know, look, if it turns out that they can tag Jeremy, and from what I've been told, uh, people close to Jeremy, this was the equivalent of a, of a hit job on Jeremy Pruitt uh, internally to try to avoid obviously paying a buyout in the mid-teens in terms of millions, and perhaps even to the extent where he ends up hit with a show cause or something like that from the NCAA that would essentially prohibit him from being able just to return to Alabama in whole anyway. Um, If that plays out that way, did, did today perhaps only enhance the value of Pete Golding when you talk about the potential for multiple suitors for this guy? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that the pipe dream for Alabama fans would be for Pete Golden to take another job and just Jeremy Pruitt to step back in as defensive coordinator. But like you pointed out, the the as you read down the release and the letter that they put out, it, it that would make that pretty difficult, even for Nick Saban in his you know, rehab center. But yeah, I, I think that with everything that's that's out there and the the candidates that are out there i think again the the job that the pete golding did was was good enough for him to to come back and work with this defense again and i think nick saban wants to hold on to him he's a he's a pretty good recruiter in the state of louisiana and i think he can maybe help out in texas as well but it, it's just a situation where um you know, it's it's been a busy monday uh keeping up with <laughs> pruitt stuff with You've had um, you know announcements whether it's Alabama basketball being ranked. You've had freshman All American teams. You've had Devonte Smith going to the Senior yeah. Bowl. That's kind of a big deal. Um, you know we've put up some other names to watch for coaching uh, vacancies, and it's just um, it's a busy season in college football, and you hate to see that uh, happen to a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, and hopefully he can bounce back. But um, the 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 show cause the potential show cause at least that that leads you to believe that maybe you, know, you pump the brakes on that idea. Yeah, that causes you a problem at the league office level too, right? Yeah. Even if you yeah. want to maybe try to take the Hugh Freeze approach and bring a guy in as an analyst, that could get nixed, I guess, by the folks in Birmingham. But still a long ways to go with that. In case you were wondering, Jimmy Sexton absolutely represents Jeremy Pruitt. So if you think this is going to be a simple just – turn around and walk away situation with Jeremy and his people with all that cake sitting on the plate. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to bet on that not being the case, but because of the way and the timing of everything and how it may need weeks, months, who knows how long to run its course. Um, it, yeah. It, the, the timing could make it difficult for Jeremy Pruitt in terms of just trying to hop right into uh, right into his next stop. And, you know, Something else I wanted to ask you about too, Charlie, is you kind of touched on this, but with the the underclassmen in the NFL draft, as of this time on Monday afternoon, late afternoon, around a quarter to four central, are you taking no news as good news for some of these other guys that we're anticipating hearing from that, that maybe they're going to be on the way back for 2021? I would, yeah. Um, you know, today is the deadline for underclassmen to declare for the 2020 NFL draft, and um, as of right now, the only juniors, let's call them, um, that have done that are the guys that did it in the um, you know, public press conference, uh, the, the Zoom call. That's Mac Jones, Patrick Sertan, Jalen Waddle, and, and Christian Barmore. And I think all those guys were kind of expected to leave. I mean, Mac, you can't blame him with the season that he had. You know, Sertan and Waddle, I mean, when they were contributing as true freshmen, you kind of wrote them off as, as three-year players. And then Christian Barmore, um, you know, the season he had and kind of the, the way he took off toward the end of the season, you kind of saw the writing on the wall with that one. And so <clears throat> I think the – the fact that no one else has really come forward as of yet and announced anything uh, is good news. That means guys like Josh Job, um, you know, Chris Allen, LeBron Ray are all at the moment you know, expected to be back uh, for another year, and that's big for this defense. Again, a, a defense that's going to be returning some guys that stepped into key roles and, and flourished really. So, um, 
I think the thing really to watch will be the senior decisions. They have a little bit more time to make up their minds. And this is a unique year where they get that extra year of eligibility and won't count toward, um, you know, roster limitations. And so we've seen a couple of them, um, you know, choose to, to announce that they're turning pro, whether it was Dylan Moses or uh, tight end Carl Tucker. And then, um, you know, Chris Owens, the fifth year senior announced that he would be returning and so did Fidarian Mathis, even though he's a he's a redshirt junior. That's another guy that'll be coming back as an underclassman. So um, at this point, I don't think there's been any surprise surprises in terms of guys choosing to leave. Things can always change. Monday's not over yet. Uh, but if you look at what Alabama has coming back and the potential for some of these seniors to also choose to return, whether it's already we've seen Chris Owens or maybe a guy like Brian Robinson. Alabama can get some some key players back for the second year in a row, and, and that would be big for this team in 2021. Let's talk next men up in terms of the positions we already know that have been impacted by key departures. And I'm going to go through six positions. A couple of them, there's going to be obviously more than one guy that's needed. But if you had to pick a guy at, at a couple of these spots where we know there's going to be multiples, Let's get that from you as well. And I'm going to start at quarterback, and I guess it's pretty obvious there, or, or is it, Charlie? Um, I, I think on the surface it is. I mean, we only saw two quarterbacks play this year, and then the second was Bryce Young, the true freshman. And I think you know, he's a guy that um, you know benefited from getting that experience. Uh, I think he would have benefited if they were able to go through spring practice, but any experience is, is helpful. And um, I think he's going to be – you know, the, the guy to be, but I also think that Paul Tyson will make things interesting. He's a guy that uh, has really progressed in the program. Uh, he's a big uh, quarterback, and I think he's really been working on his explosiveness and uh, his elusiveness. And, um, you know, if, if he can put all, all of it together, I think he can he can really challenge Bryce. And, and that's good to have that competition because it's going to be an inexperienced quarterback room next year with Mac moving on because you'll just have two returning scholarship players and and young and, and Tyson and you'll have an incoming freshman and Jalen Milrow coming in who I think will need some time to develop. So I would give the nod to, to Bryce young, but I don't think it's going to be just, uh, you know, hand it to him and he takes off with it. I think it'll be uh, a competition for sure. Yeah. They want competition, right? Yeah. Because you look at the Supreme quarterback play they've gotten the last three or four years, and that's been largely a byproduct of having those kind of guys in the mix together, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Mac Jones, who absolutely benefited from going out on a daily basis and trying to compete uh, with the two guys before him. So whether it's with the current roster, whether it's with a newcomer like Milrow, maybe even from a depth perspective, they look to the portal, as crazy as that sounds. You want to keep that competitive environment and keep that heat under Bryce Young as much as you possibly can. Inside linebacker. Inside linebacker, Charlie, we know that Christian Harris will be back. We know that Dylan Moses is on his way to the National Football League. Give me the next guy at inside linebacker. I would think it would be Jalen Moody just because of the way that he stepped in for Christian Harris when he had that shoulder injury at Arkansas. And, and we really saw him kind of play some spot duty this year, and I think he's progressed nicely. Um, I think, though, there's there's also depth. Um yeah, I, I don't think we'll see Josh McMillan come back for a seventh season, uh, but we haven't seen him announce anything yet. So, you know, that might be someone to watch. I wouldn't count on it at the moment. But then there are others like an Ali Kaho. I think a lot of people have been waiting to see him, you know, um, seize his opportunity. And, and maybe that's this offseason. Who knows? Um and then you have some younger players. Shane Lee's still in the mix. He's a guy that started every game as a true freshman in 2019. I wouldn't rule him out. Uh, they have you know some young guys like uh, Des Moines Kennedy, a Jackson Bratton, uh, who were on the roster last year. And then you obviously have guys coming in uh, as true freshmen as well. But if I had to name one guy right now, I would, I would give the nod to Jalen Moody, just the way that he was able to step in. And, and really, the defense didn't miss a beat whenever he was uh, plugged in at the Will linebacker spot for Harris. So I think that bodes well for him moving forward. Yeah, those are some sensible options, no doubt. And it's nice the versatility Alabama has in large part because it did have to play Christian Harris and Shane Lee a couple of seasons ago as true freshmen. And maybe Harris is experienced enough now that, yeah, you can move him to the Mike linebacker position. That gives you the avenue to play a, 
guy like Moody maybe at weak side. Maybe you want to keep Harris at weak side linebacker, and uh, you look at Shane Lee uh, once again in the mic. So uh, they absolutely have some nice options there at inside linebacker. Uh, let's talk defensive end with Christian Barmore moving on, understanding that he is sort of a base defensive end, but with as much nickel and dime stuff as they play, very important both inside uh, in the nickel and dime packages. Who's that next dude, I guess, at that position? And it could be a nose tackle, too, if you feel like that's where the sort of war daddy presence is going to carry over to. Yeah, I think just in terms of replacing him, I think Alabama did a nice job this year of using a, a true rotation. I think some years, especially on the defensive front, you know, they've kind of stuck with their horses and we haven't seen just a lot of guys shift in and out. But this year it was it was a pretty healthy rotation of guys. I think, you know, especially with Brian Ray being out with that elbow injury, we saw a lot of Justin Aboigby and, and Byron Young. Uh, Fidarian Mathis played really consistent and good football for Alabama. Uh, all year long at the the nose tackle position it was dj dale and then we saw tim smith the true freshman uh come along so so they've got guys to to kind of step in Uh, they haven't had anybody really as disruptive and uh productive uh maybe they have a guy step up in that regard And, and maybe that's phil mathis you know with him coming back all the experience he was able to gain this year and he's a guy that's played a lot of football in Alabama, maybe he's the guy that steps up, but I think they would like it for be to be like for it to be LeBron Ray, um, you know, a healthy LeBron Ray coming off of that elbow injury and, and really a, a few years of, of injury troubles. But um, yeah, I think a, a, maybe a dark horse candidate to watch there, just in terms of a guy really stepping up and being a dominant force, is, is Tim Smith. We saw him flash that you know, this year as a true freshman, and I think you know, giving all of the um, the depth that we just kind of outlined there. The fact that he was able to get on the field and, and play so many valuable minutes is is kind of an indication of where they see him, um, his trajectory going, and, and maybe he's that next guy up, that that next Christian Barmore or Quentin Williams or Deron Payne, and uh, I could definitely see him filling that role. Yeah, the best part about all that is it's hard to pick one guy, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you said it. Tim Smith has a chance to be uh, that Payne type, that Quentin Williams type, Barmore to an extent. Um, maybe more of a pure interior player, but he's only going to get better. And then, you know, if you do get LeBron Ray back, what you hope for him is just something close to a full season of good health, just to see really what this guy is capable of as a former five-star recruit. He has been absolutely star-crossed when it comes to injury luck. So you hope that for him. Now, cornerback, this could be a safety-heavy group because of the returning talent from 2020 for the uh, 2021 season but you know Patrick Sertan is off to the NFL uh, if Josh Job is in fact back for 2021 give me that next corner up Charlie yeah I think with Job possibly returning that's huge for this defense and you, know, you want him to to work on his, his goal line that Opposite of Job, uh, I would look for a guy like Marcus Banks uh, to, to maybe step into that role. And um, you know, they brought in a junior college player and Ronald Williams, who maybe could have had a role in this defense had he not broken his arm uh, during the preseason. We didn't really see him carve out a role, uh, you know, throughout the the season outside of a reserve role. So so maybe with a, a full year under his belt and another off season, he can. But I think Kyrie Jackson, the uh, the other junior college transfer that's coming in. Um, you know, this off season, I think he could be a big addition for this, this class. I mean, I, I heard nothing but rave reviews about him. He's got a big physical frame. And uh, again, they, they tend to, to look at these junior college uh, corners as guys that can come in and play right away. I think maybe that was what they were going Ronald Williams. It didn't happen. And, and maybe, you know, his, his window uh, closed and the guy like Kyrie Jackson can step in. But I think Marcus Banks would be the guy I look at first. Uh, you know, Brandon Turnage is a guy that's come back also. Maybe they look at him, but they have some options there. But I agree with you. I think it's definitely a safety heavy group with so many guys coming back. And you have those two true freshmen that played a lot, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. So they're going to have, have some guys step up at corner for sure. You're going to have incredible competition for that corner spot. I mean, you said it. Marcus Banks, maybe Anthony Averett style from a few years ago. You know, needed a couple of years to physically get there and then. He's ready to go. Uh, Ronald Williams from the junior college ranks 
Six three corners like Kyrie Jackson don't grow on trees. He's on the way. Uh, and then, of course, Jaquincy McKinstry, Kool Aid, yeah. five star uh, corner from the Birmingham area. And look, as great as Alabama was at the safety positions, especially in its sub packages, don't think there still won't be competition even at star, you know, or maybe even money. Although you would think, you know, money and the safety spots are pretty well accounted for. Uh, it has a chance, even without Patrick Sertan, to just be an absoluted, oh, absolutely loaded aspect of that defense when you do incorporate the safety positions in there as well. Wide receiver, multiple guys obviously going to be needed with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith moving on to the National Football League. Um, we'll assume John Mechie, all right? We won't, we won't include him as a next man up candidate. Um, we saw a lot of Slade Bolden this year, but the, the three freshmen that you had in 2020, expectations will be high for them. And then this freshman class coming in, that looks to be absolutely tremendous as well. So give me one wide receiver outside of John Mechie that you think uh, really will take that role as sort of next guy up. Yeah, I mean, the problem with that is I think there's a bunch of, of prime candidates, whether it's Slade Bolden, who you know, really stepped up and bottled it down. Uh, we saw a lot of Xavier Williams toward the end of the season. Maybe not a lot, but more than I would expect. And yeah. you know, him going into, uh, I think it'll be his fourth year in the program. I think that's big for him and, and his next step. Maybe he is a guy that takes on a bigger role. And I think a guy like Javon Baker um, would be someone I would really watch is to take a, a huge step between year one and year two and to really contribute because we didn't really see him do that this year after maybe expecting him to do. But I really think that at least one of these newcomers from this um, you know freshman class is going to be a day one starter. I don't know exactly who you know. You have a uh, <laughs> you have four guys that are ranked in the top sixty five players uh, in the country, and uh, I think a lot of those guys are going to have an opportunity. Whether it's Jacory Brooks, um, I think a guy like JoJo Earl has a lot of people excited. The basically the the newest member of this recruiting class from a receiver standpoint, but uh, I think there's a lot of of interesting candidates out there it's just going to be tough to to replace guys like Devonte smith and Jalen waddle we say that every year they tend to do it but you have a heisman trophy winner you have an electric player and Jalen waddle and maybe you have the those next guys on on this roster coming in who knows but receiver i think for me is going to be probably the most fascinating to see how that group plays out just in terms of guys stepping into big roles and you know he's a tight end by trade but i guess we could even include jaleel billingsley right yeah. in this because of what we saw from him in terms of big playability. Again, understanding his matchups are going to be likely entirely different than the wide receiver position, but that gives you some additional comfort when you think about the losses and the production that's going out the door there at wide receiver and knowing that he can, he can do his part if needed to be 40 plus catches in all likelihood in 2021, if that's what the, the offense requires offensive line. Now, you know, we can talk about, uh, Landon Dickerson moving on. We can certainly talk about Alex Leatherwood moving on. Uh, you're talking about your center and your left tackle, your two most important spots on the offensive line. That blow softened, I guess, with the return of Chris Owens after starting both the games at center for Dickerson in the college football playoff here recently. Um, who's the one guy, though, among these offensive linemen, uh, in your opinion, that that is going to perhaps at least – this far out and, and understanding this is way too early. Most important next guy up for this Alabama offensive line looking ahead to 2021. Yeah, I think that's tough. Um, I think Chris Owens did do a nice job of filling in for, for Landon. There's obviously a drop off there because Dickerson um, just had a fantastic retro senior season. You hate to see him go out with an injury. So I, I kind of will leave that one off by default. Um, I think whoever steps into Deontay Brown's shoes, though, has uh, some some literally big shoes to fill just because you know, he's been a guy that's been a road grader at guard. And Alabama has shown that it can uh, replace guys at tackle with just another All-American. It's been able to do that, and they were able to sign uh, two five-star tackles in this class. You expect a guy like Evan Neal to maybe kick out from right tackle to left and replace Leatherwood. But I think at guard, there's just there's not a lot of experience depth there so guys like a, a tommy brown or a pierce quick um 
I think they're talented, but it's just there's a significant drop off, I think, with the next guy up at that position. So I think the obvious choices would be um, it's, it's going to be tough to replace Dickerson and Leatherwood, but Alabama has proven players in Owens and even Dalcourt and then Neal and some of the guys they signed to step in and tackle. But at the interior position, there's just not a lot of depth behind him that's played a lot of football. I'm Mr. Conservative usually when it comes to this stuff with newcomers and especially offensive linemen, but I'm going to go with J.C. Latham. I just think physically he's going to be ready to go. We know that Saban and this staff don't have a problem with putting a true freshman out there at one of those tackle spots, and I agree. I think that ideally Evan Neal will show capable of flipping to the left side uh, and then if you do that, you could still play a guy like J.C. Latham. And I'm not, look, I'm not cutting short either a guy like Damian George. He is literally and figuratively an immense talent, a massive talent. And if he can continue on that same sort of strength and conditioning track that we've seen Evan Neal go down, I think he's got a real chance too. So I'm not just, I'm not just uh, anoint the five-star guy the incoming five-star guy. That's not it at all. Very much understand developmental position. And with that, you know, there's some guys that you're not going to talk about enough after a couple of years. And there you go. Third year, uh, they're, they're ready to go. Even their second year, they're ready to go. So we'll see, but uh, I'm going to be that guy for, for an exception, I guess today. I'm, I'm going to go JC Latham as one of those, uh, one of those guys that's going to step forward. Hey, Charlie, I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, on this Monday afternoon. It's a lot of fun, though. We had plenty to talk about on the Potter, the Potter cast. We need to start calling it, I think. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's been a busy week. There's still a lot more uh, to go, and we'll, hopefully it'll it'll die down soon so get some sleep and, and enjoy <laughs> a little bit of the offseason and focus more on basketball. I mean, you know, I know we had the Zoom Absolutely. Thing, I already have the story up what on a- the site, but I think they deserve it fun team too man it's not just that they're six and oh charlie they're they're a hell of a lot of fun to watch you know i mean i've seen some good basketball teams at alabama in the past they weren't always fun to watch they weren't always easy on the eyes and this matchup with lsu tomorrow night again a game that first to 90 might win this game tomorrow night you think yeah, I mean, it's two high-powered offenses, and, and that could be the case. We've seen from Alabama, they're they're capable of getting there uh, on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. so that might bode well for them. Hey, Charlie, as always, appreciate the time, my friend. No problem, man. Always good to catch up. There he is, Charlie Potter. I'm Travis Ryer. Thank you once again for joining us on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Simple as a click or two. Leave us a rating and a review if you don't mind while you're there. We would appreciate that as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanks again. We'll do it again soon right here on the Bama Online Podcast.